Heavenly Father, we pray for our time in the Word this morning. We pray that you would use it to mold us and shape us further into your image. God, give us ears to hear what you're saying. And give us a heart that is ready to apply it to our lives. So that we would leave this morning closer to you, further in conformity into your image than we were when we walked in. It's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray over this time. Amen. Now, I am convinced that I need glasses. I, I keep running into things a lot, like I'll bump into corners and I'll, I'll run into things to the point where I'm injuring myself now, and I, I think that's probably not good in the long run, so I should probably get that checked out. Some of you I know need glasses. Some of you are, are completely blind without them. I've seen you try to read your Bibles uh, without your glasses, and you look like a scared driver on the road, you know, arms stretched out with your face back trying to, trying to read it, or you have your face buried in it, you know, like right up here, like you're, like you're uh, trying to hide that you're napping from me, you know? Uh, so some of you desperately need glasses. Uh, have you ever seen the videos of babies who need glasses getting glasses for the first time? Is that just me? I love those videos because usually they're really sweet, right? Like the baby's fussing and, and squirming, trying to get out of it, but then the parents put the glasses on and then the, usually the baby just stops and just takes in the world in a whole new way. Like I, I love that because before, uh, the baby couldn't see very well. Was, everything was blurry. Um, and, and the parents finally gave them glasses, and they can see. They can see the whole world with greater clarity. They can see the world with, with a lot clearer vision. Well, at the time of Noah, which we talked about last week, we realized that the world is broken, that the world is sinful, that the world is in rebellion against God. And we also know at the time of Noah that, that God has made a promise not to destroy it yet. That God has made a promise that, that he's not done with the world yet. That he has, he has a plan to fix things. That he is, he is about uh, redemption. That he is going to bring the world back to the way it was in Genesis chapter 1. But we don't know what that plan is yet in Genesis chapter, uh, or by the time of Noah. Like we're, we're like babies who need glasses. We can see movement. We can see something going on behind the scenes. But we have no idea what God is planning and what exactly it is that that God is doing. Uh, if you're following God's redemptive story, if you're following God's plan of redemption as it's playing out uh, over history, you'll see that there are centuries going by after the flood where it doesn't seem like God is doing anything. Like, like Noah uh, lands, the ark lands, and, and centuries later, God has not made any tangible steps towards redeeming the world. The, the world continues in sin and brokenness. The the, uh, the world is no less rebellious, and God continues to not destroy it, but, but we don't really see a plan. We don't really see what's going on. We don't, we don't know what it is exactly that God is planning to do to redeem the world. Well, in Genesis chapter 12, God finally hands us a pair of glasses. And he finally lets us see with a little bit more clarity exactly what it is that he's doing in our world and exactly how he plans to redeem it. So, so look with me. In Genesis chapter 12 this morning, that's where we're going to begin. Well, let me set the stage for Genesis chapter 12. So centuries after the flood, there's a guy named Terah. And the Bible tells us nothing remarkable about Terah. We know pretty much nothing about him other than the fact that he is a, a, a father of a, a big family. He has a lot of kids, a lot of grandkids. And they're all living together in, a, in, in the land of Ur which I think is a fantastic name for a city. 
because that's just, it, to me, seems really lazy. You know, like, what, what are we going to name this place? Er, yeah, that's it. Um, so I, I love the name Ur. But Ur is in uh, Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq or southern Turkey. And, and so he's living there with all of his family, and, and he, he has a son named Abram. Again, the Bible doesn't uh, tell us at this point anything remarkable about the man. They're, they're, they're all pagans. They're worshiping pagan gods. They're doing what everybody else in the world is doing, rebelling against God, living sinfully in broken lives. Uh, there, there's nothing remarkable about this family, and yet God, for some reason, prompts Abram to leave Ur and to go to Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. God, God puts it on Abram's heart and prompts him to get up, and to get out of the land of Ur, and to go towards Canaan. So Abram goes to his dad, says, hey, I think we should go to Canaan. And his dad apparently had nothing else going on, so they said, yeah, let's go. So the whole family packs up their agricultural empire and moves... Uh, moves west towards Canaan. Well, I don't know if they got tired or after years of traveling, they just decided they wanted to stop. But Terah parked his family in Haran, uh, which is modern day, uh, in modern-day Turkey. So they didn't quite get there. But they stopped there for a little while. And uh, Abram was still prompted by God to go to Canaan, but they, they figured this is probably fine for now. And they camped there. And that's where we pick up in Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So already, off the bat, God is calling Abram to do something incredibly uncomfortable. He says, leave everybody behind and go to Canaan. Do what I told you to do in the first place and go to the land uh, today that's Israel. I mean, imagine how uncomfortable that is. Like, God is telling him to leave behind the family that he's lived with his entire life. God is calling him to leave behind the, the comfort of living with his extended family. God calls him to leave behind everything that he's ever known to go to a land that he has never been to before. Abram is 75 years old at this point. His wife is 65 years old. They have lived their entire lives with their extended family. They've, they have spent their entire lives living in the, in the close comfort of their, their extended family, and God is telling them to leave. God is telling Abram to, to leave behind his extended family and to go, go to Canaan, like he had told them in the first place. That's incredibly uncomfortable. This isn't like today where you can just hop on a plane and go back if you needed to. This is uh, potentially him saying goodbye and never seeing his family again. And it's all to go to a country that he has never been to, that he's never seen. They don't have the internet. They, don't have, uh, they, they can't search pictures of it to see if it's a nice, beautiful land. They can't tell at all you know, based, on, uh, based on pictures. They just have to trust that God is leading them. And, and so that, imagine the fear of the unknown, the, the uncomfortability of the moment. God is calling Abram to do something that is incredibly uncomfortable. I mean... Would you go? God says, leave everybody behind. Leave your nation. Leave uh, your family. Leave your friends. Leave your people. Leave it all behind and go to a nation that you've never been to and never seen. Would you go? But that's what God is calling Abram to do. And God has a reason for it. He doesn't just tell Abram to do something uncomfortable just because, because he thought it was fun. I look with me in verse 2. Go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. 
and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God has a reason for sending Abram out. God has a, a promise that if Abram were to fulfill it, if Abram, if Abram were to go to Canaan and to do what God told him to do, God has a promise waiting for him. God isn't just sending him off empty-handed. He's not sending him off uh, with just, uh, just a whim. He's sending him off with a, 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 an expressed purpose in mind. God has a promise. And specifically, that promise is to make him a nation. There are two things I want you to notice about that, this promise. And the first thing is that this promise is to make Abram a nation. Look with me in verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. God is promising to make from Abram a nation. Now, Abram and his wife have no children. He said Abram is 75 years old. His wife is 65 years old. They, they do not have any kids. And God is promising them a nation from him, which, is, which means two things. One, that means descendants. <laughs> that means that God is promising that they will have kids, and their kids will have kids, and their kids will have kids, and they will have a, a populous descendants, like a whole population of people that come from the line of Abram. That's what God is promising him, his people, and he's promising him land. He's promising him boundaries and borders, a, a place to call his own. That's what God is promising when he's promising him a nation. He's saying, you, there will be people that come from you, and there will be a land for them to dwell in, so go to Canaan. God promises to make him a nation, and the, the second thing I want you to notice about this promise is the blessing. God promises to bless Abram and to make him a blessing to other people. The word bless or blessing is used five times in these two verses. Like this promise is full of of the blessing of God. This promise is full of God uh, blessing his people. He says in verse 2, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God says, I will, I will bless you and make your name great. I will uh, give you prominence not known by any other nation in the world. His people, the, the nation that will come from Abram, will have a, a special prominence, a special place, a special blessing of God that, that no other nation would experience, that no other group of people in the world would ever experience. There's a, a special blessing that the people that come from Abram were going to experience, and they're going to experience it for a reason. And that's that they would then convey that blessing to the rest of the world. That's why he says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Those that have favor with this people of God, those who have favor with this people that come from Abram, are then going to have the favor of God. They will have the blessings of God. And those who, who curse the people that come from Abram are then going to be cursed by God. So there's a, there's a transferal of the blessing that God gives to the people that come from Abram. And God promises to bless the people that come from Abram in a way that it has never been seen before, but they are then to take that blessing and to extend it beyond themselves and give it to the rest of the world. That's why it says, in them all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. So there's a promise of a nation to come from Abram, but, but even more special than that is that that nation would be blessed. Unlike any other nation in the rest of the world, and then that nation was to be a blessing they weren't just blessed for their sake. 
They were blessed to be a blessing to other people. So that's what God promises. God hands that out and says, uh, I'm going to make you a nation, uh, and I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. Now, if you're following along God's redemptive story, this is a major moment. Because this is the first time in a broken world, a sin-marred reality, this is the first time where God promises to bless and make a blessing. This is the first time where, where God promises not to just not destroy the people of Abram, but he actually promises to bless them and to, and to allow them to be a blessing. This is the first glimpse we get at redemption here in the book of Genesis, where God is, is doing more than just not destroying the world. Here he's actually beginning to fix it. Like here he's beginning to make a people that are going to be a blessing and to bless the world. Redemption is starting, and it is starting with the people of Abram. A major moment for the first time that God is, is beginning to unveil his plan of redemption, and it has something to do with the people that come from the line of Abram. So that would be amazing. You sit down, you hear God tell you that promise, you say, praise God, uh, and then you get pregnant and have a kid. Uh, well, look with me in chapter 15. Y years pass between chapter 12 and chapter 15. Uh, anything from five to ten years pass, and, and Abram follows God. He, he, he trusts that the Lord is telling the truth, that the Lord is... Uh, you know, what he promises him is good, so he leaves, he takes his wife Sarai, and he, he takes his cousin, uh, or excuse me, nephew Lot, and they, uh, they go, they go to the land of Canaan. Well, Lot gets into some trouble while he's there, uh, and Abram has to go rescue him, he has to kind of get an army together and go rescue Lot from these kings that, that uh, took him over. Uh, and so Abram does that, and right off the heels of Abram's military victory, we get this in chapter 15. After these things, this, these military victory uh, and all of that, the, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So God comes to Abram years later, five to ten years after that initial, uh, after that initial promise. God comes to Abram and he says, hey, don't, don't be afraid. Uh, don't be scared. Uh, I, am, I have come here to reaffirm my promise to you. That promise that I made to you in Genesis 12 is, is still true. I am fighting for you. I am your shield. I'm on your side. Now, if you're Abram, think about it. At this point, Abram's 83 years old. His wife is 83 years, uh, 73 years old, uh, and they still don't have a kid. The, that, that promise of God to make him a nation is, still hasn't happened yet. I mean, we, we pray for something, and, and if we don't get it the next day, we're annoyed, right? Abram is, this is years later, he has left everything to go to the land of Canaan, and he still doesn't have a child, and he's 80-something years old, and his wife is 70-something is years old, and if you're thinking uh, that this is something about Bible times, that they had kids when they were older, it's not. They, that was not usual. Like they are, it, it would be like people today in their 80s and 70s expecting to have a child, like they are uh, they are way past that age, and they still, still haven't had a kid. And so when God shows up and says, hey, I'm still on your side, my promise to you is still valid, Abram has an objection. Hey, where's the kid? 
I, I remember you telling me about that. I distinctly remember the whole nation thing. Uh, where is a child? <laughs> You're missing a, a small detail. That's what he says uh, in verse 2. When God says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abram says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Like, wh what are you going to give me that's going to help, God? I don't have a kid. I'm going to die and pass on everything I have to someone who's not even in my own house. Uh, behold, the word, uh, excuse me, verse 3. Abram, Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my house will be my heir. So he's saying, all those promises are great. All, those, all that idea that you're on my side is great. You want to give me blessing, you want to give me wealth, whatever. That's fine, but why? I don't have a kid. I, it's all going to go away. It's going to go to some guy named Eliezer of Damascus. Like it's not, uh, it's, it has nothing to do with, with me. God, I, I don't see you following through with that promise. Like he, he is justified in raising that objection. He's 80-something years old. His wife's 70-something years old, and they still don't have a kid. God made that promise. We, we read it as a few pages. God made that promise years ago. But God answers him in verse 4. And, and I love the grace of God to answer uh, and to respond when we, are, uh, when we are wondering what God is doing, when we are questioning God. God responds here in verse 4. The word of the Lord came to him. This man, talking about Eliezer of Damascus, poor guy, he's only mentioned like one time in the Bible, and it's right here, and this is where he's not going to get anything that Abram has. Uh, uh, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if, you'll, if you're able to number them. Then God said to him, so shall your offspring be. So God takes Abram and he, he pulls him outside and he says, hey, that promise that I made to you to make you a nation, to give you a kid, it's still valid. You're going to have a son. And even better than that, hey, follow me. He takes him outside and he points him up at the stars and he says, count, count them all. And, and there's no light pollution, so it's not like Dallas where there are three in the sky. Like there are tons, like trillions of stars up there. God says, count them if you can. And I imagine Abram probably started and thought, no, nah, I, I can't. Like I've, I lost track, you know, where I was. God says, that's what your descendants are going to be like. I'm not just going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a nation who, whose descendants are like the stars. You can't even number them. You can't even count them. This is a guy who's 80-something years old and childless. And God affirms to him, hey, I'm still on your side. That promise that I made to you for a nation, for descendants, is still there. And it's even better than you're giving me credit for. That you're going to have descendants uh, that are as numerous as the stars of the sky. But not only is God's promise for people, for descendants still there, God's promise to give them land is still there. Before we get there, verse 6 Abram's, it says that Abram believed the Lord and, counted, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is one of the most important verses in the Old Testament. So hold on to it. <laughs> Abram, when God showed Abram the stars and said, hey, this is how many kids you're going to have. This is, how many this is what your descendants are going to be. Abram said, I believe you. That's one of the most important verses in the Old Testament. Like I said, hold on to that, uh, 15 verse 6. But, but God's promise for descendants is not the only one that he affirmed. He also affirmed there 
promise for land. That's why he says in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So, so Abram is probably wondering, why am I here? Or like, I have wandered uh, all across the desert. I have wandered from Turkey down to Israel. It took years for me to get here. Uh, I have a lot of animals and stuff that I brought all this way. And why am I here? It, it, he's not in uh, an isolated location. Like there are tribes and people that, have, that call that place home, that, that stake and claim territory there in the land of Canaan. And God's promising him, saying, it's all going to be yours. It's all going to be your descendants. Uh, again, this is a guy who's 80-something years old, his wife's 70-something years old, and they don't have any kids. So imagine like God's telling him, hey, this whole land is going to be yours all of the tribes, all the people, all the nations that call this place home are going to be uh, removed, and this whole land is going to be yours. He probably has some questions. I, imagine if I, if I told you, like I just dropped you off in Mongolia, and I said, hey, this whole place is going to be yours. And, and one day, this whole nation is going to be named after you. It's going to be filled with your people. You'd say, I'm going to need some proof. Like, I, I, I need something to back up that crazy outlandish statement. And that's what Abram says. In verse 8, Abram says, O Lord God, how am I to know that I'm going to possess it? How am I to know with all of these peoples that are here, with, with my very few people that live here, how am I to know that this is going to be the land that my descendants are going to call home? How am I going to know that this is the land that you're giving me? And God responds in verse 9. He says, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. He did not cut the birds in half, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God responds with a prophecy. When Abram says, where's the proof? How am I going to know that this is going to happen? God responds with a prophecy that says, hey, this is what's going to happen. What he promises is that his people, the, the line of Abram, are going to go a, a, into slavery. We know this later. People reading this at the time would have known that that's slavery to Egypt. And that God would rescue them out of that slavery. We know that event as the Exodus. And that God would, would set them free and bring them back to the land and would allow them to conquer it and to take it over. We know that uh, is the conquest in Joshua. And so God gives Abram a promise and a prophecy and says, and when Abram is, is under this dark terror, God shows him a, uh, what the future is going to look like, and he, and he sees what God's going to do through his descendants, that, that the, these two people who have no kids will eventually bring about a line of millions of people who will conquer Canaan. And so God gives them a prophecy. 
And he says in verse 17, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. And behold, a, firing, uh, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. That's just, a, again, a, a reference to all the people that call that place home at the moment, that Abram is scared of, that Abram is, ca is causing him to question God's promise. He says that all of them, all this land, is going to belong to the people that come from Abram. And God makes a covenant. And again, we talked about this last week. We're not going to get into details of, of what a covenant is, but it's a really strong promise. So God is affirming the promise that he had just made in Genesis 12. He's affirming it uh, uh, five to ten years later, but he's making it stronger, saying this is a covenant between me and you. And this isn't like the covenant of Noah that was just an affirmation of something that was already there. This is a brand new covenant. God was using Abram in a brand new, never seen before way, where God was going to make a nation from Abram. God says, I am, I am covenanting with you. I'm going to do it. There's that, that picture of the fire going between the animals. That's what happens in a covenant where you walk between the animals and it says, hey, this is going to happen to me if I don't keep up my end of the bargain. That's how strong this promise is. You cut the animals in half and walk through the pieces. And, and God's walking through the pieces with that fire. He's saying, I am, am holding my end of the bargain. I will make a nation out of Abram. I will make a people that will come from Abram. And that all the blessings that will be poured out upon them that I promised in chapter 12 are still true here in Genesis chapter 15. You might be older and you might still be childless, but I am making a promise to make a nation out of Abram and I will follow through with it. Well, fast forward to Genesis chapter 17. Fifteen years later. Abram's still childless. This is 24 years after God made that initial promise to him in Genesis chapter 12. And he still doesn't have a kid. Like we, can, we can feel that tension. We, we, should, we should be wondering the same thing he's wondering. Where's the kid? God has promised this. Where's the child? And Abram is 99 years old. His wife Sarai is 89 years old. They still don't have a kid. Look with me in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 17. Abram, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So here God goes again. <laughs> right, he shows up. He says, I'm going to make you a nation. Uh, that promise that I made to you 15 years ago, or that, that covenant that I made with you 15 years ago, the promise I made with you 24 years ago is still in place. I'm going to make you a mighty nation. Abram is 99 years old. His wife is 89, and they still don't have a kid. But God shows up and says, I'm still going to hold up my end of the bargain. You're still going to have a child, and I'm still going to make a nation from you. And what's crazy is that this isn't going to be just any nation. This isn't going to be like the founding of Rome or the founding of America. This isn't going to be just, just any nation of people where God's going to create a people that has a national identity and, and boundaries. This isn't just any nation. Look with me in verse 3. 
So Abram falls on his face. He, we already established he believes God. It's crazy. He's 99 years old. His wife's 89, but they're going to have a kid. He believes God. And he falls on his face, and God says, Behold, my covenant was, is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. So Abram uh, means exalted father. Abraham means the father of a multitude. So he's going from exalted father, your name shall, become, uh, shall be called Abraham, for I have made your, you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And get this. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your, to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So they're not just any nation. This is not just any group of people. God is promising to make them his nation. Like he decided to make this people his people. He is creating a nation for himself. Never before in the history of the world had that ever happened, where God decided to make a nation for himself. Think with me again at how broken and sinful and corrupt the world is. God picks Abram out of that, and he decides to make a nation from Abram that was going to be his, in a land where he was going to dwell, and that he, they, he would be their God, and they would be his people. Like that should bring up pictures of Genesis chapter 1, a nation, a world that is glorifying and praising God, all organized to bring God glory. That's what the nation that comes from Abram is to look like, a people for God. That's why he was going to pour out upon them infinite blessing, that they would receive and experience the blessing and the grace of God, the, the love of God, the peace of God in an unending portion because they're his people. And they were to worship him and praise him and glorify him like nobody else in the world ever did because they're his people. And they were to be a blessing to the world to bring about the redemption of the entire world to bring back the created order to what it was in Genesis chapter 1 because they're his people. For the first time in the world, God made a people for himself to bring about redemption. This isn't just any nation. This is a Genesis chapter 1 nation, a nation that is to bring about the redemption of the world. That's what God was making here with Abram. And we see introduced right after this the sign of circumcision into the covenant. That is a, an outward sign of, of their unique status of, as a people in the world, that they were God's people. And what's beautiful is that right after this promise, Abram has a son named Isaac. At 100 years old, Abram has a son named Isaac. God keeps up his end of the bargain. He makes for himself a people to bring about the redemption of the world. He creates for himself a people that are his, that live in a land that's his, that he dwells among them, and they are his people, and he is their God, and they're the perfect relationship that they were supposed to have at the beginning of the world. That's what God was making here with Abraham. Here's the, here's the main idea. God has chosen for himself a people. So join that family through faith. The beautiful thing about the people of God 
is that they're not bound by a family heritage. When God was making for himself a people from the line of Abraham, that, that line, that, that people that were to be the people of God was not bound to just physical descendants of Abraham. He has made himself a people, and you have the opportunity to become a part of the people of God by faith, because in the line of Abraham came Jesus. And by the death and resurrection of Jesus, all the nations of the world were blessed. That promise in Abraham was fulfilled. God made for himself a people, and you can be a part of the people of God. And you can enter into it by faith. That's how Abraham got in. Remember what I said was one of the most important verses in the Old Testament, Genesis 15, uh, 6. It says, Abraham believed God. He had faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was made right with God and became part of the people of God because he had faith that God would do exactly what he said he would. If you have faith that by the death and resurrection of Jesus you can have eternal life, then you will become a part of the people of God. God is opening the door for you to become a part of his people. So, so enter that family by faith. If you're here today, and you have never placed your faith in Jesus, if you're here today and you've never trusted that the death and resurrection of Jesus can save you, then this morning God is opening an invitation for you to become a part of his family. Because at the moment, you are not part of the people of God. At the moment, you are just as sinful and broken as Abraham was before he placed his faith in God. And at the moment, if Jesus were to come back and to restore the world as he will one day and to give his people their physical inheritance, you will not be there to receive it. You are not part of the people of God if you've never put your faith in Jesus. You don't have the blessings of God that he's pouring out upon his people. You have the curse that he talked about in Genesis 12. You have the wrath of God, the anger of God. You do not have his blessing if you're not a part of his people. But God has extended an opportunity, an invitation for you today to be called part of the people of God, for him to be your God and for you to be his person. You have the opportunity, the invitation to enter into the people of God today. So if you're here and you've never done that, then this morning is the, is the time to do that. <laughs> this morning is the morning to put your faith in Jesus and to become part of the people of God. And if you say, I've already done that. I have placed my faith in Jesus. I am part of the people of God. Well, does your life look like it? Abraham left everything and traveled hundreds of miles to a land he'd never been to just because God told him to. Does your life show that level of faith? Are you actively involved in the body of Christ, the church? Are you fleeing from sin because you know that, that sin is not, uh, that all of sin is empty and broken and that Jesus is life and full of blessing? So are you fleeing from sin? Are you going 10, ten feet to tell your neighbor about the gospel? Are you holding all of your finances open and available for the kingdom of God? Does your life look like you have faith in Jesus? If you say you have faith in Jesus, does your life model that? If you have faith in Jesus, you're part of the people of God, so act like it. Act like you're a unique 
group of human beings who are the favor of God because of Jesus, whose lives have been totally changed and who are worshiping the God who created all things, act like it. In just a moment, we're going to sing. Now, as we sing, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if that's you, and this morning as we sing, I'm, I'm going to invite you to take a bold step of faith. God is, is calling you to himself. God is opening the door for you to be a part of his family, but it requires faith. And so this morning, I'm going I'm to ask you to put feet and steps to your faith to actually show that you have real faith in Jesus and just come and talk to me. I'll be right here. I would love to invite you and welcome you into the people of God. So this morning, if that's you, as we sing, come talk to me. Don't wait. Don't wait. You might not get another opportunity. Every single one of us needs to look more like Jesus. And every single one of us need to have lives that, that match the faith that we say that we have. So this morning as we sing, if there are things in your lives that do not model the faith that you say that you have, give them over to the Lord. Spend some time in prayer and, and turning things over to the Lord that, that you know don't match the faith that you say that you have. So this morning, do what you need to do as we pray and as we sing. Let me pray for you, Heavenly Father. I thank you that you have done the unthinkable in creating a nation for yourself. God, that you have chosen for yourself a people. God, that you have set apart a people for yourself. And God, that we can be a part of it. We are rebels against you. We are broken, sinful people. But God, you have given us the opportunity, the, the freedom to be invited into the people of God. That you would, you would call us your children. That you would call us your son or your daughter. And that we would be your God. You have open to us that opportunity, God. I pray that we would take advantage of that, that, that we would run to you with open arms. That we wouldn't wait, but that we would be welcomed into your family. And God, as, as your people, I pray that we would look like you. Now we really would be a people who it can be said of us that you are our God and we are your people. We love you. We praise you. It's in the precious holy name of Jesus whose death and resurrection gave us new life that we pray. Amen. This morning, if that's you, if you need to place your faith in Jesus for the very first time, I invite you to, to step out from where you are Come talk to me. Do not wait. The door is open to be part of the people of God.